Father, God in heaven, I thank you that you are an amazing God and that you sent your son Jesus and he rescued us from our sins. God, I thank you that you have a rescue plan and that, Lord, you are in the process in our generation of implementing that plan and rescuing the lost and bringing them into new life. And, God, we so desperately desire to be a part of that plan, not just having been rescued ourselves, but, God, being used by you to rescue those who are lost, just like us so many years ago. So, Father, I pray, as we now rejoice in this salvation, as we look into your word, would you please speak truth that would transform us? We don't just want information. We truly want to be transformed by your word, God. So, God, would you speak today? Would you open our eyes and open our ears to receive this truth and respond to it with a yes and amen? In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Actually, all God's people said yes and amen. Very good. So many of you are aware of the past week's events, or at least event. Uh, well, for some of us, it was like a whole week event that led up to Thursday. But Thursday, Brian and Aisha got married. All right? Woo, woo, woo. Yeah. And Brian, of course, any guy, when he is getting married... I'm not saying that Brian's feet got cold, but hey, guys, you know, when you're getting married and you're trying to, you're getting a feel for this new responsibility I've got to care for and provide for my wife, that can be a little bit intimidating. We can start feeling some fears. We're kind of wondering, what am I doing? And, and yet you've got your best man who says, you got to do this, bro. You got to do this. And you move forward. And so Brian is married today. You know, help, of course, from his dad and all of you. And Diego and Rose are next up. They are in the, uh, the, the battery. They, they are in the, what do you call it? The On deck, thank you. They are on deck. And Diego has said to me, wow, I'm looking forward to this. But it's a little scary. And, you know, providing for a wife. And then what if she gets pregnant? And guys, can you relate to that? Not just getting married, but when your wife had her first baby and you were holding that baby in your arms and such a tiny thing and you felt the weight of that responsibility, it was intimidating, wasn't it? Fear is being stirred up a little bit. But God gave you grace. I know I had some questions and fears and God took care of that. And you know what? God has promises for us that if we trust in him, he will take care of all of those questions and doubts. And, you know, like, what if I lose my job and I, I can't support them? What if I fail? What if my character is insufficient and I fail? What if, what if, what if? And with these fears and uncertainties about this new life that you're about to begin can start crowding out those certainties that you once had, if you're not careful. Today, I want to talk about this new life, not in marriage, but this new life that we have in Christ. And in this new life, guess what? There are new responsibilities that we have. God rescued you, and he has this amazing rescue plan that I'm going to talk about, at least in part, and, but he has, now, he has now given us this privilege of being able to share with others what the Bible calls the gospel, the good news. And we're going to see this as we unravel it, but I want to call your, but anyway, uh, with this new life, with this new responsibility, 
How many of you have ever faced a sense of intimidation sharing that good news with others? The very last words Jesus gave, he says this, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them everything that I've commanded you. And though I'll be with you even to the end of the age. We're going to look at that briefly, but there's a promise there that I hope that we can respond to in faith and be bold as lions, as the psalm tells us, to be able to speak forth the purposes of God for this generation because, church, God has a rescue plan. Amen? Now, last week I talked about the hand of God. I actually entitled the sermon Fingerprints because God's mighty hand that we see in the Old Testament in Exodus 6, so that's a clue, turn to Exodus 6, by the way, where we see the hand of God in the Old Testament, and now Luke, for some reason, uses this word hand twice as much as any other book, and the runner-up is his gospel. Now, he uses the word hand in many different ways, but he, it most familiar way is God's mighty hand. We looked at that last week, and when God's mighty hand moves, he leaves evidence of his grace. We saw this as the church went through persecution, Acts 11, and as they were scattered, they proclaimed the gospel. Many responded to the gospel, and when Barnabas came to Antioch, it says he saw, the NIV says, evidence of God's grace. That literally, it means when Barnabas arrived, he saw God's grace. God's grace everywhere. You know what? I want, and I, and I mentioned this, I want people to be able to look at my life and say, what? That's my Curtis? No way. And I can only imagine Barnabas being from Cyprus, and many people from Cyprus, it says, were those involved in planting this church, that he came and he said, man, I know you. you God's changed your life? That is amazing. And, and I want to live a supernatural life in God's love, in his providence, in his power, by the authority of his spirit. I want to live supernatural in, his, in the gifts of God's spirit. I want to live a supernatural life in, in joy, in all circumstances. And I tell you what, this has got to be the hand of God. This has got to be the fingerprints of God's mighty hand. But you've turned to Exodus chapter 6 because I want us to see two things that God associates with his mighty hand. So are you ready? And, and, and on the back of your bulletin, there's a place for sermon notes. Jot some of these things down that the Holy Spirit is speaking to you. You don't have to write down everything, but I want you to write down some of these things that the Spirit is communicating to you. Amen? So in Acts chapter 6, we already learned, verse 1, it says, Then the Lord said to Moses, now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh because of my what church? My mighty hand, right? My mighty hand, he will let them go. Because of my mighty hand, he will drive them out of his country. And we saw that God's mighty hand did signs and wonders, judgments actually, 10 of them in the land of Egypt that were actually judgments against the Egyptian gods just to show the power that is the mighty hand of God in the land of Egypt so that they would know who Israel's God truly was. And we then need to ask, as, as we learn about this hand, what are these two things that God associates with? So to do that, let's back up a few verses into chapter 5. 
understand Moses has just come back from appearing before Pharaoh. And he feels he totally bombed. As a matter of fact, he did what God asked him to do. And he stood before Pharaoh, he and Aaron, his brother. And he said, in essence, and I'm giving the Reader's Digest version here, let my people go. And Pharaoh said, what? Are you asking to let your people go because they're so lazy? Okay, here's what I'll do. They'll have to make bricks a different way, a harder way. And the people of Israel grumbled against Moses thinking, dude, what are you doing? Do you realize the trouble that you've caused us? And Moses comes before God. God, where were you? Why didn't you show up? Come on. The Pharaoh's heart is against us. And this is what he says. Follow me. Chapter 5, verse 22. Moses returned to the Lord. If you were Moses, how would you now communicate to God? This is what he says. Oh, Lord, why have you brought trouble upon this people? Is this why you sent me? Ever since I went to Pharaoh to speak in your name, and I want you to underline that phrase, in your name, he has brought trouble upon this people, and you have not rescued your people at all. And then he goes on in chapter 6, verse 2, again, talking about his name. God now is responding to Moses, talking about his name. God also said to Moses, I am, now my version says Lord. And yours probably does too. But notice that that name, Lord, is in all capital letters. When it's capital L and lowercase o-r-d, that is a translation of the Hebrew word Adonai, or Adonai, which is the Lord. But this is all caps, and that is the covenantal name that I'm going to read to you here in a bit and why. But it is Yahweh, Yahweh. Now, some people pronounce it a little bit differently, but it's Yahweh. And so he is saying, I am Yahweh. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. That's the English translation of the Hebrew, El Shaddai. Amy Grant, El Shaddai, El Shaddai. Yeah, sorry. I won't sing it, I promise. El Shaddai, God Almighty, but by my name, the Lord, or Yahweh, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan where they lived as aliens. I established my covenant. God has now come back to his people to reassure him that all of his promises are yes and amen. That God is now going to take them out of Egypt and bring them into this promised land. So he's essence saying, you know what? To Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, commonly called the patriarchs, I revealed myself as El Shaddai, God Almighty. You know what? Abraham, 100 years old, had a kid. What? His wife, Sarah, old, 91. Barren, double death to having children. She conceived. She bore him a son. Isaac, the child of promise, the seed of Abraham. God was bringing his promises true. God appeared, the Lord appeared to Abraham many times in visions, powerful. God assured him, I am your shield. And he protected him when he was in Egypt. 
God did many things. He allowed Abraham, you might remember, in Genesis 18, to intercede for the city of Sodom and Gomorrah. Perhaps, Lord, there are ten. Would you rescue Sodom? Then he said, I would. There were not even ten. God destroyed it. Sent two angels to Lot to rescue his family. And you remember this story. God, as El Shaddai, flexed his arm, his muscles, and said, it is now time. And he judged that region of Sodom. We see this idea of the name of God, El Shaddai. A name always reflects the character of the person. El Shaddai, God, you are God Almighty. But he says, by my name, Yahweh, I did not make myself known. Now, understand, if you were to go back into Genesis, Abraham uses that name, Yahweh. He uses it. Adam, he uses that name, Yahweh. So what do you mean you haven't revealed yourself? Of course they knew your name. But he doesn't mean that. He says, I did not reveal the essence of what this name means. Yahweh, the all-existing one. Not just El Shaddai, the God who comes through at the 11th hour, but Yahweh, the God who is always there, the every hour God. Not just the 11th hour, the every hour God. And how is he going to do this now? The 10 plagues, the parting of the Red Sea, water from the rock, manna every single day for 40 years. Years. You count how many days that was that God did a miracle. Why? Because he is Yahweh, the all-existing God, the one who is the every hour God. And this is the covenantal name of God that now God is about to show himself as not just the 11th hour God, but the God who has a plan and he is methodically going to bring it to pass and he is going to rescue his people, he's going to protect his people and he is going to bring them into the promised land. Now, this name is Yahweh. This is the name that Moses came before Pharaoh. God, I, I went to Pharaoh in your name. Do you remember that back in chapter five, Exodus five? I, I, I came in your name. Now, God's going to promise, in just a, a few verses here, we're going to read it. He's going to promise, oh, yeah, but you know what? I've got a plan. I've got an ace up my sleeve, and when I unfold this plan, it is going to rock Egypt. It is going to level it. Now, I mentioned to you that historically, the Hyksos came in. Even though secular historians, they mix up the genealogy or Egypt, the, the genealogy, excuse me, the uh, chronology of the dynasties of Egypt. Um, personally, I think they're going to eventually climb aboard with this. But the reason why they say there's no evidence for the Exodus is because they're looking in the wrong place at the wrong era in the wrong time. I'd recommend to you evident, uh, Patterns of Evidence, excellent uh, book. Uh, Unwrapping the Pharaohs by David Downs, another excellent book that says, hey, guys, Manetho, the, the only guy that we can rely on for the history of Egypt, he was talking about r kings reigning concurrently and not consecutively. And so it's not 3,000 3, B.C. It's really around 21, 2100 B.C. that these kings started to reign. Anyway, my point is this. Once you get the Egyptology correct, the dates correct, then you start seeing evidence for the Exodus, and it is right there. Patterns of Evidence, excellent movie that reveals this. But So here is Moses, and God is now going to rescue them, and he is setting up 
this plan for him to show himself mighty. And Moses is going to go to Pharaoh in his name. In his name. What does that mean? To go in his name. It very simply means this, to go as his representative. That is for this reason, when Moses went to Pharaoh and he says, God is bringing yet another judgment upon you because you refuse to listen to our plea and to the voice of God, this is what he will do. And Moses always extended his hand, sometimes with the staff in it, but always extended his hand because that hand represented the mighty hand of God that was going to be bringing 10 judgments upon Egypt. And eventually it was that hand that was stretched out over the Red Sea and it parted. And the, the Israelites crossed over on dry ground. And you remember what happened to, um, to Pharaoh and, and all of his men. They drowned in the depths of the sea. And as I mentioned last week, that's, that's what allowed the Hyksos. Historically, it says the Hyksos came in. And for 400 years, they reigned. And there is a, 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 an historian during that day that Manetho quotes. And it's, he says that they actually came in without a battle. And secular historians scratch their head. That's absolutely impossible. Egypt was such a powerful nation, one of the most powerful in the entire world. What do you mean without a battle? Surely they mean that they kind of infiltrated as spies or some way, uh, wrote, rise, raised up uh, and, and overthrew the government from within. But surely they didn't come in without a battle. Because my Bible tells me that's not so. My Bible tells me, no, they came in truly without a battle. And God judged Egypt. Now, in your name, Moses represented God. In the beginning, he was terrified. He was intimidated for representing God. Now, my point is this, and this is where I'm going to go with this. We have now been called to pray in Jesus' name, to speak on his behalf, in Jesus' name, you, like Moses, are today representatives to this dying generation, holding out the word of God like light in a dark universe, Philippians 2 says. We have been called in Jesus' name to represent him and hold out the word of truth and talk about the hand of God to the people. But also, one more thing. Now, re let me read on here because this is, this is the crux of where we're going. And we're going to see how it unfolds for in, in the New Testament and then for us today. He go, excuse me, God goes on in talking. He doesn't just talk about his, the hand of God and going in his name. One more thing is associated with the hand of God. He goes on and says in verse 6, Therefore, say to the Israelites, I am Yahweh. And I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them. And I will redeem you with what, church? An outstretched arm. Underline that phrase, an outstretched arm. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my people, my own people, and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am Yahweh, your God. Here's an interesting thing. There is a phrase that is used throughout the Old Testament. And when it's used, it always, without exception, refers to the Exodus. It is a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. It is that phrase, a mighty arm, excuse me, a mighty hand 
and an outstretched arm. How did God rescue Israel? With a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. So I want you to imagine, obviously the hand is connected to the arm, God's hand reaching out. Even in, X, in Acts 11, when people were getting, uh, coming to, to, to God and God's hand was upon them, with, an, uh, with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, God reached into Egypt and he rescued them. Okay? This concept always refers to the Exodus. Now, I want you to imagine that God has now used what we are reading here about the Exodus as a symbol for all eternity in which God's unfolding plan looks just like this, except it didn't happen where we were lost, we were slaves in Egypt. It happened that we were slaves to sin. And God, with his mighty hand and outstretched arm, he didn't rescue us from Egypt. He rescued us from our sins. Romans 6 says, I was a slave to sin. I was dead in my sins. And God made me alive with what? His mighty hand and his outstretched arm. Now, let me just explain to you how Isaiah, who lived 700 years before the cross, knew about this. He asks in Isaiah 15, you can turn there, but Isaiah 59. In Isaiah 59, one of these uh, references, not to the arm, not to the hand, but at least to the arm of God, and he says this. Give me two seconds to, well, more than two seconds, I guess, to turn. Isaiah 59, verse 1. Surely the arm of the Lord is not too short to save, nor is your too dull to hear, but your iniquities have separated you from your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that you so that he will not hear. The arm of the Lord. You see, the Israelites were, in, were the prophecy was that they would be in Babylonian captivity. And chapters 40 to 66, Isaiah pictures them in captivity, and all of the prophecies refer to the Israelites in Babylonian captivity. And what is God going to do? God will surely bring them out with his outstretched arm. However, there is a problem here, and Isaiah makes it clear. What is that problem? Is it that God's arm is too short to save? Can he try to reach in, and he just can't quite do it? Is he not powerful enough to deliver them from, from Babylonian bondage? Just like he did with the Israelites in Egypt. Can't he do this now in Babylon? Is the problem that God's arm is too short? And he says, obviously not. The problem has nothing to do with God. It has everything to do with the Israelites and their sin. He then says, in, chap in chapter 50, I shouldn't say he then says, he actually said in chapter 53, another reference to the arm of the Lord. And this is going to be key. Isaiah got this. He understood the mighty hand of God the and his outstretched arm as he looked prophetically 700 years down the road in Isaiah 53. You know Isaiah 53. That is probably the most powerful messianic passage in the entire Old Testament, written 700 years before Christ appeared. And he talks about how... <coughs> All we like sheep have gone astray. Each one has turned to his own way, but the Lord has laid on him. Who? The servant of the Lord, the, the coming Messiah, the Lord has laid on him, the iniquity, the sin of us all. He talks about him being a guilt offering, a sin offering. He talks about him being led like a sheep before his, his shearers and being slaughtered. 
He talks about the punishment that brought us peace would be upon him. That is a picture of the cross. And in chapter 53, verse 1, he says, Who has believed our message, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? The arm of the Lord. What is this arm of the Lord? To whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Because then he goes on to talk about the arm of the Lord. The rescue plan that God has, not just for his people, far beyond their being released from captivity and exile, but their spiritual release from exile. Their spiritual release from bondage to sin that was going to come in this way. Chapter 53 is a beautiful picture of the cross. That is God's rescue plan. So where am I going with all of this? We then, just like Moses, we have now in the New Testament been called to go in Jesus' name. We represent Jesus himself here on this earth. That can be intimidating. Just like when I was getting married, it was intimidating. I remember holding little Katie Beth in my arms. It was intimidating. You know, what if, what if, what if? And we can feel intimidated with representing Christ in this generation. And we can feel completely inadequate. We can feel as if we, we, we can't speak very well at all. God, how am I supposed to share my testament? How am I supposed to share the gospel for people to get saved? How do I do this? How do I represent you? How does Christ live through me? I don't know how to do this, God. That can be intimidating. But we are to go in his name. And we are to proclaim the mighty hand of God and his outstretched arm. And again, that outstretched arm, as we look into the New Testament, as Isaiah tells us, that is the cross, that is the resurrection. As you read through Isaiah 53, that's exactly what you see. The Isaiah 53 even talks about his resurrection. This is an amazing message. And every single one of you who personally knows Jesus Christ, you have, been, you have experienced this resurrection. This rescue plan of God. And so now we are called to be his representative. Remember, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We are called his ambassadors. Do you remember that? We are his ambassadors. You know what an ambassador does? An ambassador from America to say Russia represents America to the Russians. You are an ambassador of who, church? Tell me. Of Jesus Christ, that's right. You're an ambassador of Jesus Christ. You are just like Moses to Pharaoh. Does that not intimidate you? Wow, seriously? But remember, Jesus said in Matthew 28, his very last words, he said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. It's been given to Jesus Christ, just as it was before he came to this earth as a babe. All glory was now restored to him. All authority in heaven and on earth. By the cross, Jesus secured this authority. That's why he says, therefore go and make disciples. And I'll be with you to the end of the age. He even promises, you know, when people haul you before the synagogues and before the Gentiles, you don't need to fear. You don't need to be intimidated because I'm going to be with you. I'm going to put those words in your mouth. I want to ask you, 
Do you feel any kind of intimidation in this new life in Christ, in this sense of responsibility? I am called to be his ambassador. I'm called to represent Christ to this generation. And yet there are so many times in which, in all honesty, there's not only fear, but I feel like a coward. I feel like here's an opportunity and I shut my mouth. I don't open it. God, you got to do something in me. I, I want you to know that God can do that. And God can use every single one of you. And this is his promise. You are going to go in his name. That refers back to Isaiah, to Exodus 6, where Moses said, I went in your name. The next time Moses went to Pharaoh, did God show up? Oh, yes, he did. That was the time when he threw his staff down. And the other magician said, oh, that's pretty cool. We can, we can double you on that one. And they threw their two staffs down, and they had two snakes. So it was two snakes against one. And you remember what happened, don't you? Moses' snake devoured the other two. Just a symbol to Pharaoh, dude, my God, he's got my back. We're coming after you. You better start hiding right now. Okay, he didn't word it that way. But he said, God is telling you, you've got to let my people go. You've got to do this. Not going to do it. One plague after the other. And finally, Egypt's back is broken. Why? Because Moses went in the name of Yahweh. The every hour God. When you represent Jesus, you go in his name. All authority in heaven on earth has been given to him. Jesus said to this, remember Luke chapter 10. We, we, we looked at it several weeks ago. Jesus said after the, the 70 came back, rejoicing that demons were subject to them. He said, hang on, guys. I understand. And, and this is his promise. He said, I will give you excuse me, authority over all the power of the enemy. Why? Because they go in his name. Like Moses before Pharaoh, this generation, the, the, the believers of this generation going to those who don't know Christ, God is going to use you like he used Moses. I want us to grasp this. When we go through, when we look through the book of Acts, we see the apostles with their hands representing the hand of God. The hands laid on the sick, they were healed. The hand of God being laid on those who had just received Christ. The, power, the Spirit of God came upon them with tremendous power. And so as they're imposing hands in this way. Eventually, though, we see people like Philip, people like Stephen, they're doing the same things. God's doing miracles through these guys too, not just the apostles. Wow. Excuse me. Took my allergy pill last night for some reason. Okay. <clears throat> and I am, I am encouraging you. You are going as ambassadors. You are going as ambassadors. God is empowering you. He has given all the authority, all the power that you need to be his witnesses to be his representatives, to be his ambassadors, going in the name of Jesus, preaching and proclaiming as Isaiah promised, the arm who has 
Who has revealed the arm of the Lord to them? Who has believed my message? Tell you what, when we read through the book of Acts, in one day, 3,000 accepted that message of the arm of the Lord that reached, that could reach in and rescue. You see, God's outstretched arm. God reaches in, and by his grace, it's also called the message of his grace, Acts 14. We read that one two weeks ago. He, he, he pulls them out. You've been pulled out. You've been pulled out of darkness. You've been pulled out of your sin. Now, we're, we're still dealing with our sin. God did not promise, when I pull you out of sin, you're never going to sin again. You're never going to sin again. No, he didn't promise that. But he promised you power and ability to rise up above it. And so we walk in faith every day. We look to him every day. We, we look to his hand and his outstretched arm every day. Why? Because he's Yahweh, the every hour God. And so here, here's where I'm going with this. I want you to imagine yourself at school or the workplace, your neighborhood. And I want you to imagine yourself as Moses before Pharaoh. Moses was intimidated. To the degree where he even said, God, I can't speak. So God said, fine, 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 fine. I will let Aaron speak for you. And you're going to feel that same intimidation. God, how am I going to share this with my neighbor? How am I going to share the gospel with my boss? How am I going to do this? And God will be gracious with us. But guess what, church? Eventually, Moses, he didn't need to use Aaron anymore. He began to see, wow, you know what? I, th I think I've got this. I think, I think I finally understand that when I go in the name of Yahweh, God does amazing things. You know, if you've been rescued by the outstretched arm of God, you've experienced his, his rescue plan and his power to rescue you. God's heart is for this lost generation just as much as it is for you. And he has this amazing rescue plan that we are proclaiming, and God is going to speak through you. But we can get intimidated. Here's what I'm going to encourage you to do. I'm going to encourage you to write down, even right now, to write down some names of people, just as God lays them on your heart. I want you to imagine yourself in your school classroom if you're a student say at SSC or um, UCF, I want you to imagine, look around your classroom. You probably have several classes, so you're going to have to do a couple of classes, but look around. Who has God been burdening your heart? Write those names down. How have you been praying for them? Write that down. I want to encourage you. God is going to use you in those people's lives. When you're at work, who is God maybe even already opening up doors of opportunity to talk to? Write their names down. Be praying for these people. Maybe you would say, you know what? I, I Honestly, at work, I never talk to anybody. I never do. Maybe God wants to change that. Maybe it's because just like me, becoming a dad for the first time was absolutely intimidating. Well, guess what? If you're going in Jesus' name, Everything that you need to communicate the gospel, you are being given. It is yours. That is his promise. And all of his promises are yes and amen in Christ Jesus. 
The problem is we get filled with fear instead of faith. And so as you're praying for those people, and this is what I do, God, I am scared to death to talk to these people. I don't know them. I am probably going to put my foot in my mouth. God, I, I need your grace and your help. And as I'm praying for these people, and I'm saying, God, show me, when I go to school, when I go to work, how do, give me some opportunities. Allow me an opportunity. And, and I'm, I'm just honest with God. I say, God, you're going to have to hit me over the head with the two by four because I can really be thick-skulled sometimes, and I just don't see some of these opportunities. Would you just so challenge my heart when an opportunity comes up? God, just speak to me and say, Mike, speak now. Speak now. Can I just tell you, God is going to do that. When you start praying and really crying out to God for the lost, Ezekiel said, who is going to stand in the gap for this people so I don't destroy the land? I want you, as Ezekiel prophesied, I want you to be that person that stands in the gap for that, for that person in your workplace, for that person at your school, for that person in your neighborhood. Maybe your next door neighbor, stand in the gap for them. But do some spiritual warfare first. God, how, how are you going to use me? Who is it that you want me to reach? God, I just pray for those people. Pray for them by name. If God rescued you with his mighty hand and his outstretched arms, do you not think that he can use you as his ambassador? Don't be surprised if an opportunity to pray comes up and you just get such incredible boldness coming upon you. And you say, can I just pray for you right now? And I, when God shows me to do that, and I feel the leading to, to just place my hand on the shoulder, I ask him, would you mind as I pray for you, can I just put my hand on your shoulder? I have never had anyone say, oh, weirdo, forget that. They've never said that. They welcome it. And I, here's, here's what I'm going to tell you. When you do that, and you lay hands upon them as one who is representing God Almighty, Yahweh himself. I'm going to tell you this. You may not feel it, but I'm going to tell you this. God is going to start right then and there working on their heart. Physically, they may feel, in essence, the, the presence of God. I don't know how to describe that. Okay, the presence of God, the glory of God, because you, as a representative, are laying hands on them. You are doing exactly what they did in the book of Acts, and you are praying for them. You know, don't be surprised if God chooses to heal them right there. He could do that, could he not? Is our God not strong enough to heal them right then and there? Maybe what they just needed to know was this sense of your care and love that you would even consider praying for them. And that just blows them away. And that opens their heart for you to be able to share your testimony, for you to be able to share maybe a testimony how, how God healed you, how God healed your marriage, how God rescued one of your children from certain death as they're facing this trauma in their own personal life and needing to see the mighty hand of God show up. I tell you what, I still get intimidated, and I'm a pastor. I've been a pastor for, yeah, a long time. I still get intimidated. 
I said, God, is this ever going to wear out? And you know, in all honesty, maybe it's because of my personality, because I am more of an introvert. Maybe not. But I tell you what, that certainly keeps me humble. And every time I have to cry out to God, Lord, I can't do this. I feel really awkward speaking right now. Would you just fill my mouth with your words? And church, just say something. Ask a question. Step out and be bold and let God use you. Okay? If, you're, if you choose not to open your mouth, God's not going to speak through you. He's not going to do the job for you. He's not going to force your mouth open and force English words to come out of your mouth. He doesn't do that. Maybe he doesn't. I've just not heard of it ever happening. But I've never heard of it. It's never happened to me. I'm just telling you, if you step out in faith, if you step out in boldness, just like Moses did, intimidated, and yet he obeyed God, and he did it. And God did amazing things with his mighty hand for that special. You're the rescued one, bringing to this generation a rescue plan, the cross of Jesus Christ. That's what Isaiah 53 is all about. And this generation, like sheep, has gone astray. But just like for you, God has laid on Jesus their sin plan. And his heart for them is bigger than your heart for them. He loves them more than you ever could. As you pray, not just for them, but for yourself, take that step. Just speak the word. To whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? It's going to be revealed through you. It's going to be revealed through you because you are going and making disciples. I'm going to just pray for you right now. We're about to have communion. I want to pray for you that God, is his spirit is going to come upon you. Because that's exactly how God had it happen in the book of Acts. In the very beginning, Acts 1.8. And you will receive power. So you'll be my witnesses. In, when the Holy Spirit comes on you, you'll receive power to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Is this the cry of your heart? To be God's witness. To be used by God. It, it, it will change you forever, church. Many of you, you've gone out, door, you've gone out to parks and door to door, and you've witnessed. I believe that God is bringing us into this season right now. Let's do this everywhere we go. Build relationships. Start conversations. Uh, maybe not just starting off with, "So, hey, are you a Christian or are you saved?" That can work. That's fine. But just asking them about their need, just praying for them. And as they realize that there's something different about you, God will sovereignly open that door to be able to speak your own testimony, the gospel of Jesus and how it rescues men. That's amazing. So, Father, I just pray for every single one of these good people. These are my brothers and sisters, Lord. They love you, God, because you loved them first and you rescued them. And now, God, is we are desiring with all of our heart this this thing of of sharing christ sharing our testimony it's intimidating god and yet lord this is the cry of our heart. this is what we truly want to do father would you help us would you daily remind us of how you rescued us god and would you impress us over and over again with the grace that you have lavished us with 
that we would be bold as Mary. That our mouths would open. Just as Moses stood before Pharaoh and, and he may have stumbled, but he spoke the words. And God, you used him. So would you use us? not in us, God. It is not of us naturally. Make us fishers of men. Spirit of God, come upon us as you came upon the early church and use us as your ambassadors, God. Make us fishers of men. Would you do this, God? So, so amazingly 